Hello, and welcome to Activating Sustainability, the Anthesis podcast. I'm your host, Chris Peterson, and we hope you're all doing really well. Today, I'm really excited to be digging in on a personal passion topic, which is energy, which represents 73% of global emissions and is facing a significant challenge in shifting from very stable, reliable, uh, conservative business models and programs to dramatic transformations that will require significant reduction of 50% over the next 10 years and 100% over the next 20, 30 years that you know will be a real challenge for us to achieve, but is fundamental to us being able to achieve anything that we're hoping to from a climate change perspective. To help unpack this topic, to dig into it, I'm really excited today to be joined by Agneta Persons, who is Managing Director of Anthesis Group in Sweden, and Ben Lynch, who is Director at Anthesis out of the UK. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining. Hi, Chris. Great to join you today. Thanks for inviting us. Wonderful. Well, maybe to start us off, I mean, there's so much talk about the energy sector. Could maybe, Ben, do you want to set the stage of what's happening in the space? Yes, yeah, so I would say that pretty much for all of our colleagues across Anthesis and um, and all of our clients, the, the big news in recent months has been the increase in the cost of energy so particularly driven by uh, wholesale gas prices which are impacting on electricity prices and also I guess in parallel with that I guess the two sort of met together in a sort of post-COP world different countries looking at their routes to net zero and the most economically expeditious way of meeting those sort of net zero challenges. So when we sort of bring those things together, we actually have a very strong investment environment for energy efficiency and energy generation. Whilst there are challenges within that, that's been really great for me and for my team and for colleagues that I work with on the energy agenda. I would like to add that when everything is happening so fast, what it is currently with a rapid electrification of the transport sector and the industrial sector, all sectors have to have a much broader perspective and, and work from an energy systems perspective and not just having focus on their own part in, in the whole energy system. And, and the peak load is one of the, or the lack of, of capacity and peak load now is growing and growing. And that's a, a rapidly increasing problem we need to look in much more into. For me, energy is total nerd out, geek out topic that I love, right? But it's been amazing how it's kind of sat in the background for so long, right? As long as the, when you flip the switch, the lights come on, when you get in your car, you can buy you can fill it up at the gas station, et cetera. You know, people just don't think about it. And it's amazing to see it kind of come to the forefront. So Agneta, you mentioned peak load, but for those who aren't familiar with that, maybe do you want to explain that a little bit and what maybe unpack some of these transition opportunities and some of the challenges we see around that as well? Well, the peak load is needing electricity or, or any other kind of, of energy that is supplied at the same time. So all of us needing household electricity, for instance, at the same time when the, the net is possibly not being able to supply what we need or the industrial needs are uh, also increasing and uh, 
some of the load of or the demand of energy from the industry is at the same time as the, the demand of energy in the households. And also now with all the electrification of the, the car fleets, that we will need to be much more interactive and, and finding solutions where we can shift load from one time to the other so that everybody could have the electricity or the other energy uh, like gas or, or other energy sources that they need. So it's about being able to get the energy at the time you want it. Hmm. Well, and it's so funny to think that when you flip a switch, a kind of generating plant starts to go up, right? Like those are one-to-one at the way the system is generally set up today, which is just so shocking to think about, right? I mean, it's not the way we think about any equipment or material, et cetera. So I know kind of halftime at World Cup games are a nightmare for energy companies, right? Uh, how do you manage that of everybody going and putting in appetizers or turning the kettle on or whatever it may be around the world at the same time? You know, and Agneta, you were mentioning some of the transition technologies. I know, Ben, that's an area that you uh, are kind of intimately aware of and thinking about, you know, as you think about that kind of electrification piece, you know, what what's coming to mind for you, both in terms of the need and some of the opportunities within it? Well, probably the main thing which I think will become more relevant to a lot of businesses and uh, also to domestic customers on the grid is that then, you know, needs to be a greater reflection of the carbon intensity of the grid on an hour by hour basis, rather than the carbon intensity of the grid over the course of a year. And those carbon factors, you know, will start feeding into price indicators as well uh, on the grid. So there is likely to be, you know, greater commercial incentive to look at storage and as, as Agnes said, shifting your, your peak load in order to meet, you know, lower carbon uh, or periods uh, on the grid where the, the grid is effectively lower carbon because there's a greater amount of renewable generation on the grid and also points at which your cost for your power is lower and you're incentivized to do that. So a lot of the businesses that, that we're working with are starting to look at that you know, forward view of how will that sort of incentivization start to shift on the grid and how do you create energy consuming systems uh, and controls that respond to those sort of market forces that are likely to emerge. And what comes to my mind first is energy efficiency, because the less need or the less demand we have of energy, then the larger part will be renewable already now. And also it will reduce the the peak load problems and and it will increase the security of supply, which is, as you mentioned before, Chris, it's, it's strange that it hasn't been talked about as much as it should have been because that's one of the cornerstones of the energy system and the, the energy policy as a whole. And and with the new electricity and gas prices and also other energy source price of energy sources, energy efficiency is even more beneficial. There are so many different kind of actions you can take and, and the potential for energy efficiency and the, the what's profitable is so large now. It has never been as large as it is now. And and when you then factor in other socioeconomic benefits from energy efficiency, like reduced CO2 emissions and reduced health cost because it, we get a more healthy environment and so on, then the, what's profitable is even larger potential. Yeah, I would really you know, second that in terms of the, the analysis that we have done on behalf of clients for 
investment in their portfolios to decarbonize the, their estates has really, you know, if you if you look at the sort of investment opportunities, if you look at that via, you know, tools like Mac curves and sort of how you prioritize those investments, what we're actually seeing is that the case for energy efficiency is just getting better all the time. The shift from moving heating from, say, gas systems across to electrification, well, those, you know, gas and electric are are kind of coupled in terms of the the prices. So the biggest benefit that any organization or even any, you know, domestic customer on the grid, you know, can have at the moment is to focus on demand reduction and energy efficiency. And the, the business case for that is as good as I've ever seen it in the 15 years I've worked in the industry. So really, I think, you know, 2022 is the year of refocusing on that opportunity, looking again at the business case, looking at the broader socioeconomic benefits of energy efficiency, and really kind of realizing that opportunity. And this makes it possible for the the transformational change we need to to see here. So it it really paves the ground for doing much more and not just work with incremental improvements, but also seeing how we can change all of it. And our clients have a totally different situation today than they had before. Mm. And so maybe that doing much more, what, what do you think organizations and governments and stakeholders and companies should be doing? and maybe beyond energy efficiency. So to maybe to build on, uh, maybe not answering your question directly, Chris, but um, to, to to build on Agneta's point, you know, as consumers on the grid have a challenge ahead of us, which is how do we work with the fact that the grid has to both accommodate greater capacity, greater peak loads, and greater levels of renewables integration in order to decarbonize power particularly for for everybody so the way in which we do that in the most economically advantageous way to give the greatest socioeconomic benefits is to all look at how we reduce demand and then that transition becomes you know easier smoother at a lower cost for everybody so there is a case here you know that by making demand reduction you reduce the cost of you know, power to all because you're reducing the impacts of the capital infrastructure that's needed to support greater grid capacity. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's so funny when we have conversations with with clients or organizations and you talk about heating the outside and it's that like, well, of course we wouldn't do that. It's like, yeah, but what insulation are you putting in your new building? And it's this aha moment of like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, how much are we paying for that, right? Which really... I think exactly as you're saying, kind of sparks into those broader conversations. I've heard both of you mention some of those socioeconomic benefits. I'm just curious if you could unpack those a little bit more as that's clearly kind of a desire to figure out how do we optimize not just the energy system, but the broader societal impacts as well. So be curious from your views in Sweden and the UK and broader European experience, what does that really look like? Yes, there are so many different uh, kind of, of uh, benefits you get from energy efficiency. And the International Energy Agency 
published a report 2015 where they divided the different kind of benefits into 17 different categories and there are very wide range of benefits uh, varying from reduced fuel poverty, improved uh, health and reduced cost for, for health for people, improved manufacturing uh, capacity and manufacturing efficiency and also reduced carbon emissions, reduced environmental impacts. So it's really a lot of different kinds of, of benefits and, and some of them enter the society as a whole and some of them goes to certain, certain actors. But, but all of the different benefits are there and you can calculate on many of them and make estimates in monetary values as well. Yeah, fascinating. I know it's been interesting for me in conversation around electrification and transportation here in North America, the efforts of, say, the American Lung Association, right, and their research on, you know, what are the health effects of burning fossil fuels, right? And just seeing that, like, direct one-to-one -one correlation between that of, like, aha, uh -huh, exactly like you're saying, what are some of those spill-on impacts and benefits associated with it? Just to build on that as, as well from a, a UK perspective, I think... It was last year in, in London, there was the first, for many, many years, the first sort of legally recognized death as a result of air quality. And, and the consequences of that in sort of legislative terms were that air quality became, you know, moved into sort of a parallel legal or governmental concern as, you know, climate change in London. So therefore, you know, connecting together these sort of changes that need to be made to the energy system and understanding, you know, the, the benefits, realization of making those changes and, and, you know, the different socioeconomic metrics that can support driving that change. Is it really important to, to bring those together, particularly when you're looking from a sort of governmental or infrastructure perspective? We're seeing that those are the things that start to make the more persuasive business cases for change. And how are some of the established policies driving these changes? I think from a North American perspective, it's interesting because it's primarily driven by a stakeholder view, right? And I think, what, so I do a lot of work with electric utilities. They're thinking 10, 20, 30 years out and trying to look at that. So kind of the trials and tribulations and varying opinions in various political parties doesn't necessarily affect them. It can be an accelerant to it or decelerate some of the things they're doing, but be curious from a European perspective where policy seems to be more of a driver and have more influence on some of the decisions here. What does that really look like in practice? Well, one, one policy measure we had in Sweden where we have a, a very large share of the heating of the buildings with district heating is that there were requirements on the energy utilities to change from fossil fuels to renewable fuels. And the, the main driver when that was introduced, or one of the main drivers, was to, to reduce uh, environmental impacts like particular matter in, in the air quality and other knocks and socks and the other things that are generated when you are incinerating fossil fuels. Uh, so, so that was one of the main drivers. And then we got a, a more energy efficient system at the same time because it's uh, using the, the energy sources on a more rational way with reduced energy losses in the energy production in the district heating. Yeah, it's probably manifesting in many, many different ways. You know, you could talk about the these central government 
efforts to decarbonize the grid via off-gem and the the price mechanisms that are in place to do that. But I, I guess the sort of the, the two things that that we're seeing kind of entering into our world in the built environment are air quality zones for which you know there are legal requirements around contributions to air quality so that's driving any sort of new development or retrofit away from the combustion of fossil fuels and towards generally towards heat pumps or sometimes towards district heating and the other is the establishment of uh, heat network zoning in some of our major towns and cities and again that is setting the sort of policy framework for the growth of interconnected heat networks and the interface between heat networks and the electricity grid so um, there's obviously many many policies that are sort of shaping our landscape but i think those would be the ones that that we're really seeing having an impact on development and planning at the moment and then on transport and mobility, there are also a lot of policy measures that, that actually drives this way and like uh, increased uh, bicycle lanes in the street, in the cities or increasing the, the parking costs for, for cars and, and making different kind of measures uh, to reduce the car use and, and increase the use of bicycles and walking and also with uh, public transport. That has also a very big uh, impact both on, on energy demand and air quality. Well, I think like as an energy nerd, it, you see energy everywhere, right? Like it's every lamp you see, it's the dishwasher you buy, it's everything comes into it. But sorry, Ben, I think I cut you off there. Yes, it, it, I, I think it's also worth sort of, um, you know, reflecting on in, in the lead up to this year's COP and kind of post-COP, how, you know, different countries are sort of coalescing around future energy strategies so you know if you look at the UK's energy strategy it's heavily reliant on decarbonization of the grid through uh, renewables there is a kind of a sort of looming issue on how you transition away from um, uh, gas power stations and also supplementing some of the the base load in the UK with nuclear which you know has its own political challenges but then if you if you look at you know somewhere like Japan or Australia you know, they're, they're sort of pursuing a strategy which is more closely linked with green or blue hydrogen as the sort of main route to their transformation. Now, you know, those are two very, very different approaches, two very, very different economic outlooks. And some of those are kind of, you know, driven by societal systems and sort of attitudes. You know, some of them are driven by historical sort of infrastructure and how that gets adapted. But, you know, all of these things are going to sort of play out into, you know, a very different kind of energy futures for these, you know, these different places. And probably further to that, I would add, you know, you only have to look at the, in Europe, the um, you know, potential annexation of the Ukraine and the politics that are happening around the main sort of uh, gas pipelines from Russia coming into Europe, whether Europe is willing to sort of sanction Russia for, you know, that potential sort of annexation or military movement, you know, so energy is being used politically here as well. And all of these sorts of different sort of geopolitical drivers are are shaping our energy systems as well as the policies that we see kind of coming through post-COP. And then coming back to the, the national levels or even regional levels, I think that 
de development where we have a large scale systems we already have, the infrastructure we already have, but we need to integrate the small scale with the large scale systems in a totally different way when we, than we've been doing before. And that happens whether you want it or not, because there are so many actors now looking into how can we do it and all, all the property owners are, are becoming both consumers and producers at the same time. So the, the change that is going on is, is really, really large. Mm. Well, and I, I know I'm speaking with each of you, right? Like, I, I think this is an area that we're all really excited to try and dig in and figure like, how do you drive that transition? But also, I know I'm speaking with lots of people, there's, it's pretty quick to come to task overload of just, it's too complex, it's too hard to shift. You talk to grid operators and they're like, it is a house of cards and you're trying to add in a bull into a China shop to, with you know variable renewables and the whole bit. Maybe to just kind of bring it down to, you know, what should people be doing today to not get overwhelmed with that, to take some meaningful action and move things forward within the organization would be really helpful as we kind of look to wrap up with maybe some kind of tactical things people can be doing Monday morning when they come back into the office. I, I mean, I would just come back to majoring on, if you look at forward prices for gas, we've moved from, yeah, certainly in the UK, but this is true you know, across Europe, from 50 pence a therm to something approaching 120, 130 pence a therm. So that's you know two and a half to three times increase in the wholesale cost of gas. Um, similarly with electricity, it pretty much tracks in the same way on pounds per megawatt hour for forward delivery contracts from about 50 pounds per megawatt hour up to, again, sort of 120, 130 pounds per megawatt hour. So if you take, if you take those things together and assume that the the geopolitical landscape and, and assume that you know those drivers are going to remain for some time to come also you know in in some countries particularly in in you know I can speak for the uk there are price caps for domestic customers so to some extent domestic customers are shielded commercial and industrial customers are far less shielded from the impacts of this so I, I would come back to the principle of how do you how do you control that risk? You control that risk by reducing your demand. You can control it to some extent with your procurement of utilities, but the best thing you can do and plan for for managing that cost risk, managing that carbon risk, um, and managing security of supply risk is reduced demand, and that applies from the domestic customer through to heavy industrial energy intensive industry. And I was about to say almost the same thing. Start by looking on your demand of energy. How are you using energy today? And what kind of energy source are you using? And what's the peak load? When are you using the most? What can you do? What kind of actions do you have in your action plan on reducing your energy demand? If you don't have any, see to that you get action uh, an action plan with measures that you can do because there are so many uh, things that is um, cost efficient for you to do and it will increase your balance line in the budget extremely much com compared to other things you can do i would just sort of again to build on that i mean the other thing because it's you know it's so salient at the moment you know with with prices driving activity but the 
you know coming back to the carbon principles of where we need to get to if you if you actually look at you know across the built environment at the energy use intensity which is you know the typical metric for energy consumption per meter squared or feet squared of floor area you know we need to in most use cases or most typologies certainly more than reduce that by half within the next five years we need to you know almost get that demand down to a a quarter or beyond of current levels by sort of 2035 2040 so you know the carbon imperative to reduce demand and support the decarbonization of the grid is also huge and any you know there's so many clients that have had contact with where they're looking at their future build programs they're building carbon deficits that we have to look at the building specs look at what they're actually building look at what that means in terms of a future projection of carbon use for those facilities and and those designs need radical change and the same with retrofit we need to go much much deeper in terms of how we retrofit existing buildings to meet that climate change challenge and uh, what's needed to get mobilized is, of course, that all the contractors and other actors who are working with renovation need to redesign their business models and business propositions for the property owners. So it's more attractive to start now to do something. Yeah, it, I mean, it's amazing because I think for anybody that spends some time looking at the energy sector, it, you kind of pull your hair out thinking about like, why aren't people caring about this more? right? Because um, it, it's not a sexy topic. It's not super exciting. But as you were saying, Ben, it's kind of, there's a radical transformation that has to happen. It has to happen incredibly fast for an industry and a sector and every sector and every product that we're buying um, that is just monumental to contemplate, but also just absolutely fundamental to anything we're trying to achieve. So really appreciate the two of you helping to unpack that and get some additional insight on it. Maybe just Kind of last question, you know, is there a next step? Are there resources available that people should be kind of tapping into? From my perspective, I would say if you have a, you know, dusty old energy efficiency report on your shelves, revisit it. You know, we are seeing paybacks for, you know, simple implementation measures uh, more than half. So I would really really advise if you know many many organizations uh, you know many domestic customers have had advice on things that they can do to reduce demand and have maybe turned away from that because it doesn't meet a, a sort of predetermined hurdle rate or roi you know in many cases now it does so i would highly recommend you know dust off the old report the old spreadsheet look at that again and the other thing to your point of you know this isn't the sort of sexiest corner of sustainability however you know investment on this agenda underpins so many other areas of sustainability if you get this right you know you can create value to your organization which you know creates opportunity to invest in sustainability other areas of sustainability that are parallel important and I think that uh, decarbonization and energy demand and energy supply is is two 
invisible. It, it's difficult to, to see it. And that's one of the reasons why we are not uh, focusing as much on it as we would should or would like to do. And if you could, as for instance, as a, a property owner, if you can make energy and, and carbon visible to your tenants, then probably you would get a much better interaction between yourself and the tenants. And that goes both for, for residential and non-residential buildings. Right. Well, wonderful. And I know you're both too humble to kind of say that the direct support you all can provide, but you know, for anybody who is feeling overwhelmed, curious about how to move forward, looking at offsets and feeling like those are kind of just a, a penance that's being paid as opposed to what you're hearing from Magneta and Ben about how do you really integrate this into value creation and business models for your organization. Strongly encourage you to visit the Anthesis website that we'll post up in the podcast description. And we'll also include Ben and Agneta's contact information in there. So please feel free to reach out to them to get more information or uh, get some insights about how to get this done. So thank you both so much. Really appreciate you joining the podcast today. Thank you. Very nice to be here. Yeah, pleasure. Great. And thank you all very much for listening. Really appreciate you joining us today. And uh, as we're coming up to the end of the year, Wishing everybody a very happy holiday season and very safe, happy, and uh, fun 2022. So thank you all very much.